Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, boys and girls, we are back with another edition of the Ben Domenech podcast brought to you by Fox News. You can check out all of our podcasts at foxnewspodcast.com. I hope that you will rate, review, and subscribe to this one and share it with your friends if you find it of interest. I am joined today on a very sad day for many people around the world by Alexander Larman, who is the books editor of the Spectator's World Edition, where I am editor-at-large. He has written a number of different uh, books and uh, is uh, uh, writing a memory of the Queen uh, for the upcoming uh, October print edition of the Spectator World, which you can subscribe to at spectatorworld.com. Uh, this is a day that has long been expected. Uh, it was one that included in its run up to, uh, to it a lot of news, a lot of gossip, a lot of rumors about uh, Queen Elizabeth's health. Uh, and yet it is still a very sad and symbolic one, one that uh, Alex uh, walks us through in terms of uh, his perspective on it at length. Alexander Larman coming up next. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day, featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Alexander, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. It is a momentous day, a day that uh, certainly is sad for a lot of people, um, a day long expected. Uh, What is your reaction to it just in terms of uh, the immediate uh, response to the news of the Queen's passing? Well, on a personal level, it's been a great surprise because I've been told earlier this year that the Queen was frail and in poor health. And around the time of her platinum jubilee, there was a genuine fear that she wouldn't make it. I was told by, you know, at least one priest friend and one lawyer friend in around April, that they were being told not to take holiday because it was felt to be so likely that she wasn't going to make it much longer. But what we've seen both then and subsequently in the UK is that she seemed healthy, she seemed well. And even, you know, a couple of days ago, when she received the new Prime Minister Liz Truss for the first time, she seemed frail again, but there wasn't an imminent sense that she was about to die. So the news today, I think, has come as a great surprise because previous monarchs who have died, there's usually been, I think, more of a sense of this is about to happen. Mm-hmm. And while we have all these great plans in store for what happens when a monarch passes, I think it's still come as something of a shock to most people, especially as today we've gone in the space of about six hours from the first indication that things were awry in Prime Minister's questions in the UK, when people have been told that the Queen is ill, and then you see the euphemism being used that she was comfortable. And as soon as you hear the word comfortable, you know that she's not going to be much longer for this world. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's been fascinating the last few hours, because obviously what it's made me do is very much think about my own thoughts about the Queen, my, if not personal relationship with her, my symbolic relationship with her. 
Well, I suppose for what we now see in the UK, the US and everywhere else is that this is the end of an era. This is not going to happen again. I mean, we have King Charles now, King Charles III, which is exciting in some respects and slightly terrifying in others. But Queen Elizabeth II, the most consequential monarch of our times or probably of any other times, has died and we shall not see her like again. You know, the immediate feeling that I had about it just from a distance was that this really marks the passing of the values of the old world yeah. in person and that it represents so much more than uh, just the person themselves. Roger Kimball's piece, uh, you know, today opens saying, you know, it's telling that when, I tell an American, the queen, they do not ask which one. <laughs> and, and from my perspective, it, it really is uh, a, a symbol, you know, of the passing away of something that has been proven very valuable to the world over the years and a force for stability in very unstable times. So how does that feel in terms of what you're looking at coming down the pipe? Because you mentioned, you know, the feeling of both perhaps excitement and terror when it comes to uh, King Charles. Um, but it, it really does feel like this is something that marks uh, the ending of a certain approach to Western values. Well, the interesting thing is that in Britain, which is an extraordinarily unprecedented time, we've had a new prime minister and a new monarch in the same week. And this is just not something that Western democracies usually have. But what I think that we all look at is that I talk about excitement of the idea of Prince Charles and Prince Charles becoming king. But in fact, it isn't excitement. Because while we could have put our new Prime Minister Liz Truss and perhaps there might be a change, might be better than Boris Johnson or anybody else, Prince Prince Charles as King Charles is not going to be better than his mother. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can say that absolutely unequivocally. He is not going to be a better monarch. And so what we know is now William might be a better monarch. William is somebody who has very different ideas of kingship. He has very different views on the world. It might be that he becomes monarch relatively young man. I mean, King Charles is not young. He's somebody who's been rumoured not to be the best health. We shall see. But he is not going to be a consequential king of the way that his mother has been a consequential queen. So we can't look at what, what, what's coming next of a royal family with any sense of optimism. I think we have to look at it more in a sense of, okay, well, let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. How uh, damaged is the monarchy uh, by the Queen's passing, just in the sense that she seemed in so many ways to be the force holding everything together from the outside? Uh, does this become a situation where the monarchy is basically... Uh, ripe for a change in the way that they are treated because of her absence? I think everybody in America would say that the Queen was the monarchy, is mm. the monarchy. Well, I mean, <laughs> was so much. It's very strange because talking about her, you know, three hours after her passing has been announced, it's very difficult for me to think about her the past tense because she was somebody who was so vital and so alive. And I think that what's been very interesting in, in Britain is that I was in London earlier, and the reaction is very much people are walking around in a state of shock. It's as if nobody can quite believe that somebody has gone. And people who would not usually be, Repub who would usually be Republicans, who would not usually be monarchists, 
have taken this very much to heart because I think that what we're all realising as a nation is that she meant so much to us on this extraordinary symbolic level. And I think it's very difficult because King Charles is not somebody who means a lot to people on a symbolic level. We know a lot about him. Some of it's favourable, some of it's not favourable. But I think we're going to have a very hard time adjusting. And he also knows that he's become king. The difficult time in Britain, I mean, we've got enormous social unrest. We have enormous political difficulties. And what you want, and the Queen did this very well, is to be a unifying figure people can rally behind. And I think for what we have under him is we have somebody who is still tainted to this day by the Diana stuff. He's still seen as somebody who talks too much. He's given too many of his own opinions. I mean, because the Queen's motto was never complain, never explain. He has complained, he has explained. And I think what we're going to watch with him is a very different kind of monarchy. We're going to see a more interventionist monarchy. I can easily imagine that actually, a bit like Edward VIII, he's somebody who's going to say, we need change, and why can't I bring about that change myself? Mm -hmm. When he's told, well, in fact, it's because you're a constitutional monarch and you have to be, <laughs> you have to be at the mercy of, of your prime minister and your cabinet. He will say, why do I have to do that? So we're going to watch, I think, over the next how many months, how many years, a very different attitude towards monarchy in Britain. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I think if I was a Republican right now, I'd wait probably about a fortnight, and then I would essentially try and argue my case, because mm -hmm. you're going to have this extraordinary 10 days coming up where we have the public mourning, which is going to be... I mean, very few people alive today will know what it is like to lose a monarch. So... This is going to be unprecedented. I mean, the Queen Mother's death 20 years ago is going to be the closest most people will have understood it as. Then we're going to have, you know, these plans for a coronation in the future. But I don't think people care about the coronation in the way they used to, because the last coronation was in 1953. Yeah. <laughs> and if you look at how different the world was back then, I mean, that's 69 years ago. I mean, it's a very, very different world. You know, it's uh, it's incredible just how much and people, you know, will be tweeting out and sharing, I think, all these different historical anecdotes uh, that uh, demonstrate the uh, incredible length of time uh, uh, that she occupied this position. Uh, is there something that sticks out to you as just particularly impressive uh, as a measure of her tenure? Winston Churchill <laughs> and and th and thought of her as a child. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean the first thing that he said when he when he he learned that she's become queen is I do not know her. She's only a child. Mm -hmm. But we in both I think Britain and America look at Churchill as a historical figure, as somebody almost like you say, you know a Theodore Roosevelt or a Lincoln. Yeah. I mean, we see him very much in that kind of lineage. And the fact that until today we had a monarch who had him as our first prime minister is an extraordinary link with the past. And in fact, I mean, you look at the fact that on the day she was standing by the king, by her sister, by her mother, and she was waving at the crowds. And again, things that we look at are very, very distant past she was not just audience to, but participant in. And I mm. think that actually, 
We understood while she was alive the importance of her as a symbolic figure, the importance of her as somebody who was a unifying figure. But what I think we are now going to have to deal with, the fact that she is dead and, you know, dead only a few hours, is that she was more than that. She was somebody who didn't just stand and observe the age, she defined the age to a large extent. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we have lived in the second Elizabethan age. Uh, talk to me a little bit about her connection with uh, normal Britons, um, you know, just the the average uh, uh, citizen um, who she seemed to relate to so much better than many people whose calling as politicians is to is to relate to them. Well, the difference between her and politicians is that when you're a politician, you can come in, do your job for 5, 10, 15 years, and then go off again. Mm. When you return to private life, you don't expect to have to deal with people you don't much like. You've done your time. You can go back and be a normal citizen again. Whereas she never had that option. She spent 70-odd years being somebody who, I mean, I have no idea how many, how many people she met in her in her reign, I mean, we're talking tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands. And what's been so interesting is that people say, I met her for five seconds, and that left a lasting impression for the rest of their lives. And I can't imagine there's many people today who don't feel that having met her for those five seconds was not a life-changing experience because she's the queen. Mm-hmm. And I think that ultimately, again, it returns to the idea of what she was like, not just as a symbolic figure, but as somebody who genuinely did make a difference to people. I mean, you hear lots of stories about... I mean, we're going to hear lots of sentimental stuff over the next few days, and I do not want to be one of the people propagating that sentimental stuff, because I think that ultimately she was a very old woman. Her death is sad. It is not Mm -hmm. a tragedy. She did not die before her time, and she lived to a remarkably old age. So that aspect of it, I I don't think is tragic. What I think is tragic, is the removal of somebody who was so vital in terms of Britain, American, international history. And the fact that we will never know a lot of the things that she knew. We'll never know her thoughts or opinions about a lot of very important issues because I very much doubt that she kept a diary or that she wrote candid letters. I mean, I could never see her being much of an emailer. I could see her being a... (laughs) (laughs) Um... The uh, obviously, you know, the conversation in America around um, the presence of of Harry and Meghan has been one of significant controversy. Um, yeah, you you mentioned in your piece uh, uh, the way that things have kind of been roiled by uh, her activity in particular. Um, what do you think that this? Uh, passing does to their relationship with the rest of uh, the family Uh, and how do you think uh, do you think that they're going to come off well in terms of responding to it or do you think this is going to be one more thing that they seek to exploit or bend to their priorities well ben i'd like to say that i see this as being the moment that the royal family comes together and that there are hugs, and it's all like a big happy partridge family reunion. But I think you know, and I know that's not going to happen. I mean, Megan is a loose cannon. She has one interest, and one interest alone, and that is the propagation of Brand Sussex. She is not somebody who's going to see this as anything other than an opportunity. 
the, the difficult thing is, and I say this from personal level, but I also say this from a sort of, you know, slightly more detached journalistic platform. We're going to watch two narratives emerge over the coming weeks. We're going to watch the traditional narrative of the death of the Queen, the reactions to that, the pageantry, the protocol, the coming of Charles III, the accession, all the rest of it. Then we're going to watch the Meghan narrative. And the Meghan narrative is not going to go the same way. Meghan narrative is going to be, what can I get out of this? How can I define myself? in this situation of international grief. And the thing is, I mean, the speech which she gave in Manchester on Monday was extraordinary because everything that she does is essentially revolving not just around herself, but around the idea of propagating. I mean, but what I don't understand is Brown Sussex, what's the point of it? I mean, what is the point of having this detached, semi-royal, semi-media, semi-showbiz existence. I mean, what is the point of it? I mean, okay, she's got to buy her bagels in the morning. (laughs) But over and above that, I mean, what's the point of her? I mean, what is the point of Meghan Mm Markle? I mean, she was never much of an actress, but she could always go back to that as a career. (laughs) But now, I mean, as I say, we're about to watch a situation where... You have this figure who's going to be sounding off all the time. We're going to hear a lot about her reactions to all of this. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think that the most damning thing the Queen ever said about Meghan Markle, when her truth was being announced to the world, was that one line, recollections may vary. <laughs> and I think there'll be a lot of that actually coming back into the public view, because, yes, recollections may vary. One recollection which is not going to vary is the fact that Meghan Markle has only ever been in this for herself, or continues to be in this for herself. Mm. The continuation of Brown Sussex at this time of international mourning is perhaps not the appropriate moment. Mm-hmm. I uh, I expect that they will vary quite a bit. Um, <laughs> the, the, thing, the thing that is... Uh, one thing I was curious about from your perspective yeah. is uh, is what you expect um, to happen in terms of the ramifications, as you mentioned it, of what this does to the Republican argument. Is it, Do you believe that it's going to take on a sort of a new strength, a new character in the wake of this? Uh, I certainly think that there's some people who think that. What is your opinion? I think republicanism in Britain is an underrated thing. I think that it's assumed there is not an appetite for republicanism. What I'd argue is that it's not there isn't an appetite for it. There hasn't been somebody found who can be a convincing case for it because most of the figures on the hard left in Britain who would essentially epitomise an argument for republicanism, people like Jeremy Corbyn, and you become a busted flush very fast. Mm-hmm. It's like in American politics. I mean, you know, Bernie Sanders is not somebody people really listen to, is he? Yeah. I mean, you know, there he is with his, you know, Ben and Jerry's stuff, and it's all ridiculous. <laughs> so the fact is, is that it's the same thing in Britain. We have ridiculous figures who pop up every few years, and they talk nonsense, and then they go away again. So, mm-hmm. in fact, there has not been a serious person who's come forward with any kind of public standing, made an argument for republicanism. But what I have wondered for some time is, is there somebody who could stand up and say, I think the time's come, but mm-hmm. now being said we have a republic. But of course, this comes back to the idea of, do we 
trust public figures? Do we listen to public figures? I mean, obviously, we listen to you, Ben, but that's quite besides the point. No, that's a very good point. Uh, I, I think the... I, I'm curious to see how it plays out, and I can see it going in a number of different directions, but I think you're right in the sense that the the lack of a champion for the idea that doesn't come across as just being an odd or silly person has has yeah. been to its defect um, and perhaps has led people to underrate its potential resonance. Um, the The other interesting aspect of this that I'm curious about from your perspective is as you said, you know, you have a new prime minister and a new monarch. Um, the, you know, Liz Truss obviously has gone through this process. She's uh, ascended uh, through the ranks in ways that um, were interesting to watch, uh, but also, you know, put her, I think, in a uh, in a pretty difficult position for a lot of different reasons. Uh, what does this do uh, to her in terms of uh, any kind of immediate shift uh does it you know disrupt essentially uh the early days of her uh, role as pm or is it an opportunity for her to sound a unifying note in a moment of of national desire for that kind of thing i cannot think there's anybody in britain i would rather less be today than distrust yeah he's absolutely stuck because today this big announcement, this big $150 billion announcement of all the subsidies she's going to give for energy, gone. Completely gone. Mm-hmm. And that's terrible. It's like, that should have been a massive news story. That should be the only thing people were talking about for the next week. Gone. By the time it comes back into public view, people won't care anymore. So that, politically, is dreadful for her. I mean, absolutely appalling. She's a, she's a rubbish public speaker. The speech that she made today after the death of Queen was appalling. It was wooden. It was un, unfeeling. Wanted a single memorable phrase in it. She's not somebody who can unify a nation because she's not capable of it. I feel sorry for her on a personal level because essentially nobody, nobody could possibly want this responsibility four days into a premiership. But more so than that, there's very much a feeling that people are going to look to her and she's not the person who's going, who can do it. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because, I mean, Boris Johnson, I felt, was an appalling prime minister. I felt he was somebody who was poor at the job, had no interest in the job, and essentially didn't have any aptitude for either the practical aspects of it or the symbolic aspects of it. But the statement that he made after the Queen's death was so infinitely better than mm-hmm. anything that his trust came out with. You start to think to yourself, I mean, even me, a man who despised Boris Johnson, thinks... Well, he'd have done it better, wouldn't he? <laughs> he does, as disappointing as Boris was, he does have the ability to, as a writer and uh, and uh, as a messenger, to rise occasionally to the moment. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's something that I think uh, certainly served him well, but also led to perhaps an a overinflation of trust in his ability <laughs> to actually deliver. Um, but... Uh, but one thing too that I think is is interesting now is, you know, as you know, I've uh, I've gone through and been uh, a, a pallbearer and and, and uh, you know part of large uh, funerals here in America. You know, yeah. certainly not something that compares to what we're about to see over there, no. um, but they are difficult and sophisticated logistical events. And I'm sure that, you know, I know that they're 
operational plans in place uh, that you know people can read about today. Uh, but what is your perspective on what folks should expect here from America as viewers about what's going to come next? Well, I think that Americans will be looking at this as a kind of unparalleled example of pageantry. And I think they'll be expecting a bit, a bit like a Platinum Jubilee, except people will be crying rather than laughing. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I would say is that actually, you know, people don't want to have all of this. Because, you know, Britain is a poor country at the moment. I mean, we are sliding into being a second tier country very, very fast, actually. And the sheer expense of a lavish royal funeral being a coronation. I mean, people are going to think to themselves, why are we doing this? Because obviously yeah. Prince Philip's funeral was very, very low-key, very little money was spent on it. And I think that was seen rightly as what people wanted. I mean, they don't want to have a big elaborate show. So what I think we're going to see with the Queen is I think the funeral will be the big deal. I think people mm-hmm. are going to be very invested in that. And then the coronation, and that's something that's take place next year. And obviously that will be an anticlimax. Massive yeah. Um, let's uh, go out on this. You know, in terms of assessing this within the context of uh, current debates about uh, the West. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of people who I saw online making kind of interesting points about uh, some in response to something I had written and some in response to others that basically said uh, this is kind of the passing away of a symbol of the best that uh, Western civilization had to offer um, that, that essentially the argument that has emerged in recent years, not just from the left, but from uh, a lot of portions of certainly the American right, that the West is decadent, that it is lost its value, that, you know, the enlightenment values that, uh, that guided it to such uh, a significant effect and significant positive effect, I would argue, for the world, that they're somehow defunct, that they've, uh, uh, you know, uh, failed to meet uh, the demands of the moment. Do you view the Queen's passing as being consistent with that argument? Uh, or do you reject that uh, and and think that this is actually a time when we ought to be studying what made her great in the first place? I think what made her great was a sense of duty and a sense of longevity. I think that we could see with the Queen that ultimately she believed, for, for better or for worse, that if you are monarch, you behave in a certain way. I think the idea of decadence in the West is a very compelling one, and I'm you know attracted to it intellectually, but I also feel that you can see that the royal family in this country, the decadence has come from without rather than within. I mean, mm-hmm. Andrew accepted. And I think you can also see with the Queen, there's very much a sense that she followed duty because she believed in duty. And I think that ultimately, we shall not look upon her again. We shall not look upon anyone like her again. And I think that is a tragedy. It's not a tragedy that a 96-year-old woman has died. It's a tragedy that we've come to an end of an era of nothing to replace it. Alexander, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It's a pleasure to be with you for evening. Thanks so much. More of the Ben Dominish podcast right after this. You know, as an American, when you reflect on the importance of the British monarchy, you do so a little bit with tongue-in-cheek. 
the monarchy is quite frequently uh, ridiculous. It is quite frequently absurd. Uh, it is the subject of entertainment and gossip, uh, rumor mongering and innuendo. And it has been particularly of that sort of thing of late, uh, thanks to the uh, the addition of Meghan Markle to the royal ranks. This has been something that I think was itself kind of an illustration of how important the monarchy can be as a symbol of something that we have lost, something that we used to have, and something that has, in truth, served the world very well. Particularly, I think of this in the context of the ongoing arguments about the nature of the West, the idea that the West is corrupt and decadent, that it does not have any real moral use anymore, that it is something that is really, you know, ought to be viewed with shame or with some kind of uh, hesitation uh, by people who are both on the left and on the right. There are unfortunately quite a many, uh, quite many conservatives and libertarians who today seem to be echoing the indictment by the left of enlightenment values uh, that led to so much of the world enjoying so much prosperity and freedom in the past century. Un paralleled really in the course of human history. This is also a situation though, where I think we have to respect that the queen represents a world that is gone, a world that is leaving us and a world in which our leaders are unfortunately being replaced uh, by a crew of people who we have far less faith in when it comes to their ability to lead their ability to keep the hand on the till and their ability to deal with the, the kinds of uh, perspectives and, uh, and progressive push of the modern left. Look, I think that, you know, whatever we can say about King Charles, uh, he is not someone who uh, people look up to in the same way. And he is someone who seems to have dabbled in a lot of directions that people uh, find, uh, you know, frankly, disappointing and not uh, up to the challenge of uh, the nature of this job. The queen, though, was someone who inhabited that job with a perspective that was both unique and dutiful, that was simple and yet profound. And I think that we cannot uh, miss this moment in terms of appreciating what those old world values brought in moments that really seemed like they could break, uh, break down and challenge even the strongest among us. The queen obviously has an enormous historical position. She presided over a period of time that saw Britain uh, move through so many different challenges, become a very different country in many ways. And she saw uh, a world that was really uh, moving away from many of the same values uh, that she had espoused at the beginning. And yet I think it's very fitting that she's someone who, to the end, was working, was dutiful, was welcoming Liz Truss, the new prime minister, just days before her death, and also had a kind of quiet privacy and humility to her that was astonishing in an era when such things are viewed with relative disrespect by so many in the world. So as Americans... We can raise a glass to her. We can bid her farewell. We can feel the sentiments of the British people on a day like today. And we can also, I think, take solace 
in finding great lessons in the way that she approached her job. It is an incredibly weighty thing to take on such a role in such a moment in history. And the queen gave it her all. She will be missed. I'm Ben Dominich. You are listening to another edition of the Ben Dominich Podcast. We will be back soon with more to dive back into the fray. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.